Turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 17. Uh, the Bible records a story about the uh, Apostle Peter, and he was arrested. James had been arrested and killed, and now Peter has been arrested, has been put into prison. And there during the night, God's people were praying, and God sent his angel and rescued Peter from the prison. His, his uh, bonds fell off. The prison door opened, and Peter walked out with this angel, and God brought him out of the street, and he was free. God had moved on Peter's behalf. Aren't you glad that we serve a living God? We serve a great God, and he is able to meet the needs of our hearts and our lives and to guide us and to, to uh, do what's necessary in our lives. And uh, is able to help us in the areas where we need help. I'm grateful for that. And uh, I believe that John here in this 17th chapter and, and, and elsewhere that we're going to talk about this morning uh, is seeking to show the greatness of our God, uh, to show that God has our future in control, that God is able to do what is necessary in our lives and has our future under control. Oftentimes in the Bible, before a time of great suffering uh, for Israel, God would send a prophet who would describe the period of suffering and also describe the period of God's deliverance. And you see the same thing, I think, here in the book of Revelation. I believe that we as God's people need to understand God's greatness and worship Him for it. And the title of my message today is The Greatness of Our God. The greatness of our God. Uh, Look with me at uh, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who sits on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. So he carried me away in the spirit to a desert, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She had a gold cup in her hand filled with everything vile and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead, a cryptic name was written, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the vile things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk on the blood of the saints and on the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I was utterly astounded. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astounded? I will tell you the secret meaning of the woman and of the beast, with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss to go to destruction. Those who live on the earth, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will be astounded when they see that the beast was and is not and will be present again. Here is the mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must remain for a little while. The beast that was and is not is himself the eighth. 
yet is of the seven and goes to the destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer them, because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Those with Him are called and elect and faithful. He also said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The ten horns you saw and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until God's words are accomplished. And the woman you saw is the great city that has an empire over the kings of the earth. Now, we're going to talk about a couple of other uh, scriptures here in a second, but I want to just kind of go through this with you. The greatness of our God is first of all shown in that God knows what will happen. Now, uh, I believe the scripture is talking about two periods of time. One is the time in which John lived, the time of the Roman Empire when Roman persecution was coming against the church. And the other is the time of the future, the time of the end time, the time of the Antichrist. And uh, you see the same kind of, of approach God takes in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, you have God addressing the time during the intertestamental period uh, where the uh, Israelites were persecuted by Antiochus Epiphanes, and God prepares them for that time. But he also speaks of that end time, that, that time where his ruling plan would eventually be accomplished, but that time of the Antichrist immediately prior to that. And so you see this, this dual attention uh, to the present matters of life as well as the future prophecy. Now, isn't God practical? God speaks to you and to me today through his word. One of the things I'm amazed at as, as I study the word of God is how relevant and practical it is. It's just as practical, more practical than reading today's newspaper. Uh, it, it has specific guidelines for life. God is great because he knows the future. Did you know God knows everything about you? David says in, in Psalm 139, he says, Lord, you have knit me together in my mother's womb. You know when I sit and when I rise. You understand my thoughts from afar. And before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. God knows everything about you as an individual. He knows about your future. He knows what's coming. He knows the difficult times that are coming. He knows the, the easy times that are coming and the, the times of refreshment that are coming. And so God knows your future, and he is great because he knows your future. There is no better person to guide you in life than God. He knows what's needed. He knows what's necessary. The Bible calls him omniscient. There is, he knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew uh, when he created the world, he knew that man would fall. And he also knew the solution of bringing his son to die in our place. God has 
all of history planned out. Now, that's important for us to understand. Nothing in our lives takes God by surprise. God wasn't surprised. You might have been surprised by something that happened yesterday or the day before. Or you might be surprised by something that happens tomorrow. But God will not be surprised. God knows exactly what we need. And to me, that is a huge comforting thought because I know that God loves me. I look at the cross and I see the love of God. And I know that God has a plan for my life. And I know that God, if he has a plan for my life, he has a purpose for the day that I'm living today, and he will provide what I need. Now, God knows and knew the the time of difficulty that um, these people would be going through. He also knew that it would be a limited time. Uh, He describes... Uh, the beast that the woman's riding on, and he says the beast has seven heads. And look at verse 9. Here's the mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Now, Rome is called the city of seven hills. And so it doesn't take a whole lot of math uh, uh, and, and intelligence to figure that one out. But the seven mountains are the where the woman is seated. So this, this uh, woman is seated upon Rome. Okay, now, there are also seven kings. So the seven heads represent seven kings. Five have fallen. In other words, five are in the past. One is, there's one that's ruling right now, and there's one yet to come. And so what's he telling them here? He's saying, hey, your time in this suffering is limited. Isn't it great to know that when you go through difficulty, God allows us to go through difficulty for various reasons, But God has a limit to the time for your suffering. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that we're in the hands of a loving, merciful God who is taking care of us? Uh, So he tells them that this is the case here. And then he also says, uh, the beast that was and is not is himself the eighth. Now, um, In the Old Testament book of Daniel, you find a character prophesied that would be a type of the Antichrist, or a picture of the Antichrist, Uh, and his name was Antiochus Epiphanes, and he did some of the things that the Antichrist will do. Uh, Same thing is here. You have these seven kings who are rulers of the Roman Empire, and especially uh, a couple of them, probably like Nero and Diocletian, uh, were, were especially persecuting the people of God, and they were a picture, they were a type of what was to come later in the person of the Antichrist. And so the beast is an eighth, and he is of the seven. Chances are he will rule from Rome, or uh, at least he will rule over the Roman Empire. But I tend to think he'll be ruling in Rome. Rome is called Babylon uh, because, let's face it, you're circulating this, this letter in a time when it's not popular to speak against the Roman government. And so they use the phrase Babylon because it is a picture, that same geographical territory, although expanded, was, was the area that Rome was upon. So um, I believe he'll be ruling from Rome. And, and this woman that is riding him is, is a religious system that supports 
the, the work of the Antichrist, and she's riding the beast, and she's riding, and so she's associated with the Antichrist, and I believe this is talking about the seven-year period of tribulation as a whole, okay? We just finished talking about the seven bowls last week, the, the, the end of God's plan, but now uh, in, in these chapters, we're taking a step back, and he's telling us some specific things that apply to the whole tribulation period, and uh, this woman is part of it. She, it is a, a religious system. Chances are what this is is the remnants of the true church. Not the true church in the sense that of believers, but people, for example, would the rapture come today, there would be people here in this building, if Scripture's right, and I believe it is, uh, that would be left. Because the Bible says the enemy is sown in tears among the wheat. Of those who are left, chances are they're still going to be practicing religion. And I believe that there will be a worldwide religion based in Rome that is a false church. And this false church will be part of the tool uh, that the Antichrist uses, I think, to unify the world at that time. And the, but the, he really hates, secretly hates the church. Even though it is a false church, he still hates it because he himself wants to be worshipped. And so eventually he will turn against the woman, and I believe that's what happens part of the way through when he dies and is either literally raised or is somehow tricks the world into believing that he's raised. And then he will be worshipped himself and will desecrate the temple, and so forth and so on. So, um, God knows the future. Secondly, God is in control of the future. God uses the beast. Look at this. You say, that's crazy. Um, look at verse 16. The ten horns you saw in the beast will hate the prostitute, the woman. They will make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. Why? For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose. Okay, now get this. You have the beast, is the Antichrist, and he is inhabited by Satan himself, who hates God, who hates the things of God, who is opposed to God, who is seeking to fight against God, and God uses him for his purpose. Is that not amazing? The sovereignty of God. Did you know that God can even use the wicked to accomplish his purposes? God uses the Antichrist, the beast, and so forth. He uses him and the ten rulers that are ruling with him to carry out his judgment upon this false religious system. And so God judges through the beast. Now, um, I believe that God does that, and through history, you will see, if you look in the Scripture, you will see it, uh, that God has used, he said, Nebuchadnezzar, my rod, uh, and he speaks of Cyrus, my servant, people who were not believers in the God of Israel, but were used by God to carry out his plan. And so, today, you may be in a situation where you have a wicked boss. Or you have a wicked family member. Or you have somebody in your life that is causing you difficulty. Can I tell you something? God can even use the wicked people in your life to accomplish some purpose 
that he has for you. If nothing more, he may be teaching you patience. But God can take the things of life and use them for a specific purpose. I remember there was a, a woman in my last church. I can talk about that because there's nobody. <laughs> there's, but there's a woman in my last church, and I mean, she was a gossip. And, you know, she, she gossiped about my wife and got mad at my wife at one point and, and was causing trouble in the church and so forth and so on. But there was a man in our church who was even more ungodly than she was. And one business meeting, we closed the business session time. And by the way, I'm so grateful for peaceful business meetings and I'm grateful to Clifford for that, for, for leading that and, and grateful, for, grateful for you as a church in that. But we did not have peaceful business meetings there. And this particular one, when it was over, she quickly marched across the room and began to give him a dressing down. And I mean, she dressed him down. She chewed him up one side and down the other and spit him out and stomped on him. I mean, it was, it was bad. And he ended up leaving the church. I said, well, Pastor, what's that got to do with anything? I believe God used her to remove a problem from our church that was causing a great deal of hurt. And you say, well, Pastor, you shouldn't feel that way. Well, I believe that I believe God does that sometimes. I believe that there can be individuals that cause trouble in a church, difficulty in a church, and are hurting the work of the body. And I'm not talking to anybody, okay? So don't think I am. But, but. I think that can happen sometimes. And I think God used her. Now, she was ungodly. But God used her to take care of another problem in the church. Listen, our God is big enough to handle our issues. He doesn't wring his hand and wipe sweat off his brow when he finds out about our problems. He knows about them. And he's in control. And he can even take the bad stuff and use it for our good. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? And God works all things together for good doesn't say all things are good it says god works all things together for good to them that love god and to them that are called according to his purpose god is in control of the future isn't that a great truth god knows the future god is in control of the future and you see that again in Chapter 18, look at chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. After this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He cried out in a mighty voice, It has fallen! Babylon the great has fallen! Now, the rest of chapter 18 describes how God causes this great city to fall. And all of the different ways that he calls it to fall. And it says, in just one day, God has brought this great city to nothing. And it goes, it tells the perspectives of the merchants and the perspectives of different people who did business or who were, who were involved in the day-to-day life of the city of Babylon or the city of Rome. And, and, and he says, in one day, it's fallen. Can I tell you, that's the sovereignty of God. God can speak into your life and end the problem with a word. That's our God. Now, you say, well, why didn't he end it? I don't know. Don't ask me. Talk to him, okay? God has different purposes for why he allows us to go through trouble. Sometimes it's to grow us. 
Sometimes there may be discipline. God's trying to bring us back to, to him. Uh, but there can be different reasons. Other times it may be for the glory of God. You remember the, um, the, the man that was healed by Jesus and uh, the disciples were saying, this man born blind, uh, you know, who sinned, him or his parents? You know, they just immediately assumed it was sin. Jesus said, neither one. This happened for the glory of God so that God's glory could be displayed in his life. Uh, but whatever the reason God has for allowing you, he in his wisdom knows what is needed. And by the way, we have a promise as Christians that God didn't let us go through something unless it is necessary. Check 1 Peter chapter 1 out. If it is necessary, we were beset by various trials. So God will use those things in our lives, but all he has to do is speak a word and the trial is over. One word. One command, and Babylon the Great is crushed in every conceivable way. Go home and read that, and you'll see all the different ways. Its economy was crushed. Its religion was crushed. It, its uh, uh, daily life, the joy of marriage and, and, and family, all of it, it totally ended in one swift word from God. It's over. God is in control of your future. All he has to do is speak. And I want you to see that God will be worshipped for his victory. God will be worshipped for his victory. Turn over to chapter 19. We see over and over again, we, we read in chapter 17 about the, the woman being drunk on the blood of the saints and the martyrs. Verse 2 says, he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. Verse, verse 2 of chapter 19. And then it says uh, uh, they were, are worshiping God for that. And then look at verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh. Hallelujah, because the Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. Let us be glad, rejoice. And give him victory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and the wife has prepared herself. The wife is the church. The wife is God's people. She was permitted to wear fine linen, bright and pure. God will be worshipped for his victory. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You and I live from a position of victory. The battle has been won. Jesus won the battle on the cross. One day, that victory will be consummated. You and I live in the, in the time in between. We have his power to, to live through life and to overcome sin and so forth as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we live from a position of victory. Why? Because we have a resurrected Savior. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You see, I've got a home that's coming. I live from a position of victory, and right now God gives me power to live for him. But one day, the veil's going to be removed. One day, all suffering, sickness, sorrow, pain will end and God will be worshipped for his victory. 
I'm going to tell you something. The best the devil has can't touch the power of God. The best this wicked world can do to thwart the purpose of God, to engage in wickedness, the best it can do can't touch the power of God. We live from a position of victory. And one day Jesus is going to give a command and the dead are going to come out of the tombs and the, the, those who are Christ believers still living will be caught up together to meet him in the air. And the Bible says that we'll be with him and we'll enjoy that marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, there'll be a seven-year period of tribulation. At the end of that time, Jesus himself will come back to this earth to rule and to reign and life will be like it never has been. We live from a position of victory. God will be worshipped for his victory. Listen, I don't, I don't think we need to wait to worship him. Just start worshiping now. <laughs> worship him for his greatness. Worship him for his goodness. Can I tell you, the Bible says all our days are written in his book. I want to tell you something. God loves you this morning, child of God. He loves you. Your days are written in his book. He says, you're the apple of his eye. He cares for you. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I love what Lamentation says. It says, Lord, uh, because of your mercies, we are not consumed. For your compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. That is the heart of God toward you. Is that not an amazing thing? He has buried our sin in the sea of forgetfulness. He has separated us as far as the east from the west. He's given us a hope and a future. That's the greatness of our God. Greatness of our God is that he knows the future, that he controls the future, and that he will be worshipped for his victory. Let me ask you something. Christian, have you been living from that position of victory? Have you been living your life with a spirit of gratitude and worship to God? Have you been living defeated and, and downcast and downtrodden and what am I going to do and oh me, woe me? Uh, or, or have you been living and walking by faith? We may go through trouble and the Bible says we will. But the Bible also says that we live from a position of victory. Don't lose heart. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the prize. Look for the coming of Jesus, and we'll worship him for his victory. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you have given us such a gift in salvation. Lord, you, you forgive our sin, you, you change our hearts, you write our names in the book of life, and you give us a hope and a future. We thank you for that, Father. Thank you that you walk through it, the, the difficulties and hardships of life with us, and that no one can pluck us from your hand. Father, I pray that we as your people would be grateful to you, would worship you with whole hearts. And Father, that those who are here today that don't know Jesus would come to know him before it's too late. It's in Jesus' name.